2: Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Etchman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you.
1: Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us.
4: Should you combine finances with your partner? Some research says yes, but there's lots of other factors to consider. In today's episode, we're going to cover some of the most popular methods of splitting finances with a partner, but these can also be applied to other relationships in your life, like with your friends, family, and roommates. But first, as always, our money wins or losses. What's yours
1: today, Anna? Well, we need new air cons installed in our place. And we got a quote and it was a lot of money. And we figured, why not get another quote, which was less money? And then we got a third quote, which was even less money. So between the first and the last quote, it would be a savings around $6,000. Which is huge. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. So I think it really pays to ask around and um, see if you can get quotes on stuff for labor and whatnot. Often you can get a deal. And some of these also comes with subsidies. So for anyone who's considering getting air cons or anything that is more energy efficient, a lot of the different states have some kind of subsidy that you can get if you can decommission something such as gas to be replaced by electrical appliances. So definitely look into it.
4: That's very cool. I didn't realize you could get a subsidy to buy aircon. So that's a fun money win.
1: Yeah. More energy efficient and whatnot.
4: And also saving $6,000. It's a really hard one with trades, I guess, because there's no fixed price for things. So if you don't know someone who knows, it's really hard to know what you should be paying for stuff.
1: And sometimes you worry, right? Like, should I pay more? They're probably better, but that's not always the case. It's really, uh, for each of these, they had really great recommendations online. One of them was, um, suggested by our neighbor, which was the most expensive one. So again, you're, you're oh, wondering, no. are you getting mates rates or is it? You don't know. You don't. You don't know the situation. So it's just worth getting a couple of different quotes. Have you decided? Are you going to go with the cheaper one? Well, I think uh, my partner met with all of them and had the best vibe from the cheapest one as well. And then there's a couple ways that you can get money back depending on the aircon. So there, there's a lot of considerations, but it does seem like we might go with the cheapest one um, for savings and also just vibes and <laughs> all, all the, all, just vibes, all the things. <laughs> It's good when the vibes
4: match up with the cheaper prices and you're not trying to decide between vibes and people versus cheap prices.
1: Yeah. And they had a great rating online. Oh, awesome. It's a win all around. Yeah. What's yours? Um, I bought
4: 50 Pilates classes because they were on special for Halloween. So they had 31% off their class packs. So I works out to be around $11 or $12 or a reformer class, which is really good. The memberships even are $45 a week for two classes. So that's twenty-two fifty a class. And buying this is even like half price off the membership price. So big win there.
1: That's great because a lot of fitness things are so expensive. So if you can get them on sale, that's a huge win.
4: Yeah. And I really like reformer Pilates, but it is so pricey sometimes. So it's exciting that I can do it without spending 50 $60 every week. Indeed. A study published in the Journal of Consumer Research found that couples who merge their finances enjoy a protective effect that safeguards against the decline in relationship quality over time. The researchers conducted a two-year study where participants were divided into three groups: merging finances,
1: keeping separate accounts, or no intervention, which is the control group. And this is what they found: couples who kept separate accounts or had no intervention experienced the usual decline in relationship quality over time. Couples who merged their finances were shielded from the decline. This was mainly due to. financial harmony among couples with joint accounts resulting in less conflict with higher satisfaction with money management by both partners.
4: The study offered three potential reasons why merging finances led to a positive relationship outcome. The first one, joint accounts can prompt partners to consider how they justify purchases to each other leading to reduced conflict and improved financial well-being.
1: Number two is transparency created by opening a joint account can allow partners to better understand each other's priorities and align their financial goals.
4: And thirdly, merging money in a joint account can promote a sense of togetherness and eliminate dynamic of your money versus my money.
1: While this sounds great, there are some safety considerations, and this does not apply in relationships where financial abuse is present.
4: The definition of financial abuse, a deliberate pattern of behaviors in which an individual seeks to control, exploit, or sabotage their partner's ability to acquire, use, and maintain financial resources.
1: This can look like not contributing to household expenses, withholding or controlling income, making one person liable for joint debt, not contributing to needs of their dependents, or preventing someone from working. And for more information, you can call 1-800-RESPECT.
4: So when should you consider splitting
1: your finances? There's no wrong time to talk about money in relationships. Bonus points if it's on the first date.
4: Some of the times that you may consider it, though, is if you're in a stable, committed, long-term relationship – If you're moving in together, this usually triggers conversations around shared household expenses or other things, if you have children, or if you're getting engaged or married. And I know you've had two kids now. How has splitting your finances
1: changed? It's changed a lot over our relationship. I think in the beginning, we would split expenses when we went out, or one time I would pay for dinner and my partner would the other time. We actually had everything completely separate, even after our first child. It was only after we purchased a house that we kind of started to merge our finances, especially when it came to expenses, putting things in the offset account. We do still have some separate finances. We both have separate savings accounts, separate investing accounts. And I had a a property that was all in my name. So there were a couple of things that were completely separate, but they've changed over time. And that's just normal. And it'll probably change again in the future. How did you pay for things when you didn't share finances at all?
4: Did you just alternate or did you keep track using something?
1: Yeah, great question. I think in the beginning, we would alternate when we went out. And then we started living together and we had joint account that was for expenses. So we knew what the expenses were of, you know, rent and utilities, and we would put the same amount in every time, but we had our savings and our actual account separate. And that evolved as well. I think over time where more of our, you know, more of our finances got interwoven where it's like, oh, I'm buying this membership. Do you want to be on my membership now? All of a sudden that's A joint expense or a thing that we did together over time. And well, once you have a kid as well, a baby, being like, oh, I bought diapers last time. Can you buy them this time? Yeah. Which actually sent I- me like $12 for the nappies. <laughs> Well, for the longest time, I had a credit card that I was using for points and that was what I did. I would go through the credit card every month looking at what my expenses were and what our joint expenses were in order to get the points. We used the card. But then I would be like, hey, this is your bill for the month. And my <laughs> partner great. would pay Period it. And points. Yeah. I don't think I've ever really talked about that, but that's totally what I did for the longest time to get a bunch of points or get ahead that way. So but I, yeah, it was too complex, too too much laborious time just running the math. So I don't do that anymore. But good for points at the time. Yeah. Nonetheless, I mean, I think regardless of how you do it, communication is so important. Mm -hmm. Since communication is so important in any relationship, And money is one of the leading causes of divorce and conflict. It's important to be able to have an open discussion when it comes to income, debt, savings, and financial goals with a partner. Ideally, you want to do this in a non-judgmental way.
4: The goal is to attempt to find a balance between feeling together, but also maintaining your independence. Newer couples are unlikely to merge their finances, but you still need to have ongoing conversations about pros and cons and how things are changing.
1: You've possibly heard that having a regular dedicated financial date is important. Another good option if you're looking to for a starting point is referring to the barefoot investor who talks about money dates. I was reading the Gottman Institute's Eight Dates book, so it's about
4: relationships in general, but one of the important dates they highlighted was around finances, and it starts off by going through your family history with money and includes questions such as, how well off were your parents and grandparents? What did they do for a living? Did your parents feel comfortable about spending money? Did they save or invest? And then it goes into what enough money actually means to you. And then you talk about it and share together.
1: Now, let's talk about common ways to split finances. The most common starting point is to equally split expenses. The idea is to split everything 50-50, regardless of income. It's simple and straightforward, but might not be fair if there's a significant income disparity. An
4: example of when an equal income split might be considered unfair is when there's a big difference in the incomes of two partners. For example, we have partner A who earns
1: $8,000 per month. And let's say partner B earns $4,000 per month.
4: If the couple decides to split all of their expenses 50-50, this might seem equal at face value. However, this arrangement may not be equitable given their differing incomes. Let's assume their total monthly expenses, so rent, utilities, groceries, amounts to $3,000. A 50-50 split would mean each partner pays $1,500. For partner A, this means they'll have a monthly saving of $6,500, which is 81%.
1: And for Partner B, who is also paying $1,500, their savings would be $2,500, and their monthly saving percentage would be 62%. In this scenario, Partner B is left with significantly less disposable income relative to Partner A, potentially leading to financial strain and stress.
3: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news...
1: There are some pros, though. This is very equal and simple to calculate for the most part, and it's a good starting point when talking about money or starting to date. Some of the cons, it's not equitable.
4: It can create an imbalance in the financial dynamics of the relationship. It may lead to resentment or a feeling of unfairness, especially over time. And the person with a higher income is able to meet their financial goals a lot quicker. I used to be very set on splitting everything 50-50 until I learned more about equity versus equality. Um, When I used to be the high income earner, I found I would often pay for more things if I wanted to do more, which was only fair because if I could afford them and the other person couldn't, I couldn't expect them to try and sacrifice things to do what I wanted to do. But Anna, you were just telling me about that fun picture of equal versus equitable
1: Yeah. So the way this, there's a picture, there's an illustration and it says equal is literally if everyone has the exact same height of a stool and they're up against the fence, someone who's really tall is going to have the best view. Someone who's average might just be able to see and someone who's really short is not going to be able to see over the fence. It's equal. They all have exactly the same. They all have the same stool. The fence is the exact same height. But it's not equitable. And so what equitable means is the tall person might not even need a stool or just a stool. The average person or the medium person might need a bigger stool to be able to see. And the short person might need a really tall stool to stand on to see over the fence. And the idea is, is that even though equal might be fair – Equitable is fair based on the situation that you're in so that you have the equal opportunity. This is where we talk about privilege in finance quite a bit. So and in this situation, this is equal. 50-50 split is equal, but it's not equitable because for someone else, it might be a huge financial strain in the fact that you're paying equally for everything, including things like a holiday, which might be a small percentage of someone's income, but it might be a huge percentage of your income and you might not even be able to to pay for that.
4: I like how you said it, like equitable gives everyone the same equal opportunity to succeed and puts people in the same position because we all have different starting points.
1: Yeah. And I guess this next example that we're going to give talks a little bit about this as well. This one is based on percentages. This involves splitting expenses based on a percentage of your income. Therefore, if one partner earns more, they pay a higher percentage of the bills. This option is more equitable, although it's not equal.
4: It can help both parties save, invest, and pay debt and spend equitably, regardless of their income. Lower earners pay a lower percentage of the expenses, but equal percentage of their income in relation to the other person. This is calculated by taking the overall income and then calculating each person's income as a percentage of the total. So, let's say that person A has an income of $8,000. And person B
1: has $4,000. So for person A, the expenses paid percentage is 66.6%. And for person B, it would be 33.3%.
4: So for person A, they would pay $2,000 in expenses. And for person B, it would be
1: $1,000 in expenses.
4: Person A would be saving $6,000. And person B
1: would be saving $3,000.
4: But here's the equal equitable bit. They would both be saving 75%. That sounded like a lot of numbers. Um, But the key point here is that they both save the same monthly percentage. Person A is still better off. They're still saving a larger amount of money each month, but they're also paying a larger amount of the expenses, which gives person B a better chance to save some money as well. But it's still not the same as person A.
1: So the pros of this is it's more equitable for both people and it doesn't put financial stress on the lower earner.
4: Some of the cons, this may not feel equal, especially for the higher earner, as they need to spend more money that could otherwise be in their savings. If you're in a partnership, it's not fair to have a bigger advantage over the other person. Just because someone is getting paid less doesn't mean
1: they're not working as hard. Unfortunately, our society values some occupations more than others in terms of financial compensation, and this usually disproportionately affects women. This is amplified when you have children or take parental leave.
4: The next way
1: is combined accounts and expenses. One of the most traditional way to do finances with a partner is combining all of your money together. This is often stereotyped as a way to do finances if you're married or have kids, but it doesn't always work for everyone.
4: When I was younger, I assumed everyone did it this way because that's what my parents did and that's what parents seemed to do when I was younger. The idea is that you pull all of your money, debt and expenses together. So in the example above where one person earned 8000 and the other earned 4000 their 12000 would be combined and all expenses would be debited from their account.
1: The pro is it can be motivating to feel like you're a team where the idea is your money is my money and vice versa. You can also see your finances holistically. It could be a good option if one person is on parental leave.
4: But the cons again. This can be hard if one person is better or worse with money or if you have different goals. It could also feel like you lack independence or that your spending is being monitored.
1: The next example is having separate accounts with assigned specific expenses or goals. So instead of splitting everything, each person could take responsibility for specific expenses or bills. For example, someone pays rent while the other person handles utilities and groceries.
4: I've seen examples of this where the lower income person does the grocery shopping and pays for this, while the high income partner pays for rent, bills, and everything else. The pros to this, it may be easier to manage because you can assign a responsibility to each person and each person knows what they need to do
1: and pay for. Yeah, the con is that it may fluctuate and it may not feel fair. And then there's a hybrid solution with the above options in case this is suited for you.
4: There's lots of different ways to split expenses and have saving goals with your partner. Some of the different ways can be a hybrid of what we've just mentioned, such as having a joint account for shared everyday expenses or bigger goals, such as buying a house.
1: And then you can have some separate options, such as some things are joint, but some are separate. Like if you have your own hobby or interest, or you want to have your own investing account that you contribute to, or paying off your own mortgage or a down payment of a house that may not be with your partner. It
4: doesn't matter how you decide to split finances. The most important part is good communication. Contributions to these accounts can be
1: equal or percentage-based, as mentioned above. Some of the pros are they can provide independence and partnership in regards to different financial goals and expenses. There's a lot of clarity for both of you, both independently and together.
4: Cons, it can take more time and effort to figure out what works for you. In summary, a lot of this comes back to what feels fair and equitable for your relationship. There's no right and no wrong, and things will definitely change. The most important thing is to continue communicating about what's working for you and how you feel.
1: Here are some ways our community split finances with their partner. Here's the first one. We have a joint savings account for shared goals, mostly travel at this point, and a joint spending account for joint expenses like groceries and bills. All our other money is separate and we can use that for whatever we want, but we usually discuss any purchases over $50 with each other anyways. We have always earned within about 3 k of each other annually, so we just put the same number into our joint account and if we ever earn different amounts, we plan to discuss a percentage-based split.
4: Another one was we have a shared savings account and join all finances as a couple who are married. I've never shared finances even after being together for 20 years. All our money is combined. It doesn't matter that we are on entirely different pays.
1: Each contributes a set amount into a shared account for combined or most expenses. The rest is separate for our savings.
4: We go 50-50 in our
1: two-up account. Split based on income, one joint bills, one for joint savings, and individual splurge account, emergency and investment accounts.
4: Semi-ratio based off income as well as
1: want-based. A percentage of income. If someone makes 60% of household, they pay 60% of bills.
4: And finally, split equal bills and put equal in the holiday fund. Otherwise, keep everything separate.
1: So, we've got some actionable steps. If you're not partnered, consider which of these options may be worth considering if you need to split expenses with a friend, roommate, or family member. If you're starting to date someone, have open conversations about finances regularly. You can do
4: this by asking about future goals and plans if you want to be less direct. Or you can just be like me and ask
1: them outright because I talk about money all the time. (laughs) The next one is plan your money date and discuss how things are currently going and what you might want to change in the future.
4: And finally, know that you can always adjust and change things to make them work better for you.
1: Often we get asked, how do I talk to my partner about money? And if your partner potentially isn't someone you can talk about money with, especially when it comes to splitting finances, maybe just send them this episode.
4: Yes. Or sit down with a barefoot investor with them and be like, look, the book says we have to do this thing.
1: <laughs> That's a good one.
4: Thank you for listening today. Um, a quick reminder, we have a Facebook group. So you can come and join us and ask questions and chat in there. We'd love to see you there. Just search for the Get Rich Slow Club on Facebook. Thanks. Okay, bye.
1: Thanks so much for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please rate us five stars, write a review, or share with a friend. If you're new to investing, make sure to listen to our first 10 episodes. Follow us at Get Rich Slow Club or Tash at Tash Invest or me at Anna Christina.
3: This show was brought to you by Natasha Etchman, who is an authorized representative. 1299881 of Guideway Financial Services AFSL 420367 and Perla, who is an Authorized Representative 1281540 of Sanlam Private Wealth AFSL 337927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our Financial Services Guides and read the Product Disclosure Statement and Target Market Determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info.